Hello, good everyone, and welcome back to the Dion Gordon Podcast. I'm your host, the connoisseur of common sense, the purveyor of authenticity, the man who calls it right down the middle. Dion Tyreek Gordon, enough of the bullshit. Let's get to work. Ladies and gentlemen, your word for the day is moribund. The definition of moribund is at the point of death and also in terminal decline, lacking vitality or vigor. Can you use the word moribund in a sentence? Why, yes. Yes, I can. The San Francisco 49ers are an absolutely moribund franchise. The San Francisco 49ers are a moribund franchise. Decrepit, dilapidated, destitute, worthless, pitiful, abysmal, woefully inept, absolute shit, pathetic, and embarrassing. The San Francisco 49ers are a joke. There was so much goodwill for the 49ers coming into this last game against the Arizona Cardinals. They're coming off a win last week versus Chicago. All types of goodwill and positivity out here in the Bay Area. Everyone feeling good about the 49ers, positive, good vibes, etc. Then you see the injury reports come out for the game. You see that Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins are not going to play. J.J. Watts out for the season. A.J. Green's not going to play. This is a beaten down and debilitated Arizona Cardinal football team. This is a team lacking stars at key positions, playmakers. Colin Murray is a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. DeAndre Hopkins is a top three NFL receiver. J.J. Watt was wrecking shit so far this season. A.J. Green has been pretty good for them too. Quality football player is not going to play on the road in Santa Clara at Levi Stadium. This should be a win, right? It's supposed to be a win. How could you possibly lose a football game like this? There's no way. The 49ers were going to lose this game, right? You ain't got to deal with the best players on the Arizona Cardinals, and you're at home, and you're a team that allegedly has playoff aspirations. This team from day one, from preseason, from training camp, the message was conveyed to the fan base. This is a Super Bowl-ready team. All we got to do is get all of our guys back healthy and running back from 2019. We got Jimmy. That's why we're not going to play Trey Lance all season. We have Jimmy Garoppolo and everyone coming back. Everyone's going to be healthy again. We're going to make a run to Super Bowl 56. We're going to finish our season in SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles, California, Inglewood to be exact. Everything's right there for the taking. All the 49ers have to do is go out there and carpe diem, seize the day, seize the moment, take advantage of the situation. Just come out there, play your best football, have a good game plan, and execute. This is a layup. This is a slam dunk. Don't come out there and lay an egg. Don't shit the bed. But that was never going to happen, right? The Niners were destined, predetermined, guaranteed to win this football game. I was at the game. As I said on the last podcast, I thought about going to the game, and midweek I made the decision to pull the trigger and link up with some friends of mine, some coworkers, and go to this game at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara, California, 15 minutes, 15 miles away from where I live at. I almost have to go. I'm almost obligated to go to a 49er game. I'm being a lifelong, dedicated fan of 30 years now. God damn it, I'm old. 30 years in the trenches, in the red and gold trenches, being a 49er fan. And now I live 15 miles away from the stadium. I have to go to a game. So I bought a ticket last week, and I agreed to go. And I got up Sunday morning. I got my game day fit ready. Got my red 49er sweater. It says San Francisco football EST 1946. No one else has that, by the way. Exclusive to me and me only. I like that. Put my, my Concord Jordan 11s on. Put my Niner hat on. Got ready. Left. Called an Uber to the stadium. Linked up with my peoples. 
got fucked up. Not even gonna lie. Not even gonna hold you. All right. That's a, that's why this this podcast was not done the night of the game or even yesterday because I was too sauced up, too slizzard, too far gone, fucked up, full bar, just wasted, drunk. I ain't drank like that since I was in the Navy, and that was most of that was before I even walked into the stadium. You know, I'm hanging out with my folks. We pounding. I get there at about noon. These cats have already been outside tailgating in the parking lot since 10 o'clock. I was supposed to meet up with them at 10 o'clock. I told my homeboy straight up, man, if I had met up with y'all at 10 o'clock, I would have been in the hospital for alcohol poisoning before opening kickoff. Y'all, y'all, y'all ain't going to kill me today. I knew who I was dealing with. I was like, these motherfuckers can drink. And I'm not at that point in my life anymore, man. Four or five years ago when I was in the Navy, yeah, I could hold my own, but... These days, I barely, I rarely, if ever, drink. Only on certain special occasions, like going to a game or going back home. If I do drink, it's like a glass of red wine or something. I'm bougie now. A glass of wine, period. White wine, red wine. Uh, you know, I could do a Pinot Noir or a Pinot Grigio. It doesn't matter to me. A glass of Chablis, some rosé, Cabernet Sauvignon. It doesn't matter to me. I, I'm a wine enthusiast. I enjoy wine. Which works out for me being out here in the California Bay Area. You have wine country, Napa and Sonoma out here. I uh, took a tour of that last year. Me and my lady went out there at a nice time, drank wine all day, had her own driver and somebody escorting us around, hitting different wineries, different places, and just getting fucked up all day. It was very nice. But see, that's more of my speed of drinking nowadays, just having a casual glass of wine here and there with a lady and just taking my time with it and being real chill and sophisticated about it. This was not... That This was the speed I was on 10, 15 years ago. This was get as fucked up as possible as quickly as possible. I met up with these cats at noon. From about noon to the time we walked into the stadium, it was a 125 kickoff, local time out here in Santa Clara. From about noon to about 125, I'd already consumed five Modelos and three shots of tequila. And yes, I was hanging out with Mexicans. Modelos actually pretty good. That was like the first time I ever had Modelo. Uh, last Sunday. It's pretty good. It's pretty smooth beer. It goes down real nice and easy. But I'm drinking like five of these in like an hour-long span with shots of tequila intertwined in between. Like we're walking into the stadium. I'd already drank like three at this point or four. I'm already pretty fucked up. I'm already on the level I feel like I need to be on. But I can, I can feel myself getting like increasingly more buzz. The game ain't even started yet. I'm walking into the stadium and my homeboy hands me another Modelo and says, you got to kill this before we walk into the stadium. I'm like, God damn, man. But in that moment, as a guy, like, you can't come across as a bitch. You can't be a pussy about the situation. It's like peer pressure. You have, to, you have to drink the beer. You have to accept the challenge. Even though you're already fucked up, a guy, a grown man hands you another beer and says, bro, you got to kill this before we even get inside the stadium because security is going to confiscate this from you. Because my plan was just to hold on to it. But in that moment, like I said, you can't be a bitch. You have to be a man, and you got to drink this beer and take it down before you walk into the stadium. You got to hold your own. You have to at least look like you can hang with these grown men in their drinking, which I can do. I just don't like to do it anymore, but I can do it. So I drank like five of these with the shots of tequila. I go across the threshold to get into the stadium, get through security and all that shit. I'm already fucked up. I'm slizzard. And I get to my seat. I was up in the Bud Light patio, up in the three, uh, 300 section. Uh, pretty good view of the stadium, actually. It's kind of like watching the All-22 coaches film in real time. And I get to my seat. The game is just now started. And about 15 minutes later, the game was over. It's 14-0 Arizona at the end of the first quarter. Before I even really got settled in, I never sat down. I was standing up the entire game 
because I was at the Bud Light patio. I, I had an actual seat. Never even went to my seat. I just stood for the whole game and just watched the whole game, watched this fucking fiasco, this absolute debacle, this abomination take place in front of me. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, the team came out flat. The team came out overconfident. And it's almost like the team takes its cue from the fan base. Because in the parking lot, you know, I'm chopping it up with other Niner fans. I want to get the feel. I want to get the pulse of 49er Nation beyond social media. I want to actually talk to some Niner fans in real time and in real person. And everyone's riding a wave of positivity and goodwill feeding off what happened last week versus Chicago. And everyone's saying, you know, Jimmy turned the corner. He played his best game in a Niner uniform since the uh, New Orleans game in 2019. Kyle got his play calling groove down. We're going in the right direction. We're trending up. And we're coming home now, and we're playing against Arizona with Colt McCoy starting to get quarterback. Colt McCoy is 8-22 and as a starter in the National Football League, one of the greatest college football quarterbacks I've ever seen from his time in the University of Texas out of Austin. An all-time great living legend college football quarterback in the NFL. He's been a career backup and a journeyman. He's bounced around from a different team every year. And like I said, he's 8-22 and for his career. The Niners aren't supposed to lose to Colt McCoy at home when you're fresh off a victory last week and you are allegedly a playoff team. Or you're telling the fan base, or better usage, better way of saying it is, you're lying to the fan base by telling them you're still a playoff team, you have playoff aspirations. No, you don't. If you were a playoff football team, you would handle business at home versus a team being led by Colt McCoy. You wouldn't come out here and get shellacked, get embarrassed, humiliated, belittled, destroyed, wiped out, your ass handed to you by Colt McCoy. It's 14-0 at the end of the first quarter. It's 17-7 at halftime. It's 31-7 midway through the third quarter. The game was over early. In the first quarter, the game was already over. When George Kittle had a fumble on the second drive of the game, and that turnaround led to a, the first Arizona score. Then Brandon Ayuk had another fumble that led to another Arizona score. I'm sorry, it was 14-0 uh, Arizona at that point, but the Niners were putting together a drive. Garoppolo completes a pass to Brandon Ayuk. Brandon Ayuk makes a very heroic effort to catch his high-ass, off-target, inaccurate throw. Jimmy Garoppolo's passes are higher than California gas prices. I keep hearing people saying, well, Jimmy played a good game last Sunday. Did he really? He almost got Brandon Ayuk killed about five different times during the game. He got Muhammad Sanu hurt. What good game were y'all watching? What good game does a quarterback play when his team's down 31-7? to People keep saying, well, he threw for over 300 yards. That's empty calories, man. Jimmy played his typical game. He completed passes across the middle, short intermediate passes, nothing downfield, nothing to put pressure on the defense. Nothing to put stress on the Cardinals whatsoever. He played his typical, regular, average-ass, basic game with a bunch of high-ass throws that got receivers hurt or almost got them hurt. He was his usual self. There were a number of throws. Like I said, I'm watching from the 300 session. It's like watching the All-22 coaches film in real time. There were guys open down the field. He doesn't even look. He doesn't bother to look downfield. He's going to check it down the flat to Kyle Juszczyk. He's going to dump it off in the flat to Elijah Mitchell. This is who he is, man. Jimmy Garoppolo is Jimmy Garoppolo. He's basic, mundane, average, ordinary, rudimentary, elementary, whatever you want to call him, man. He, he is who he is, man. He's Jimmy Garoppolo. He's nothing special. He ain't the best. He ain't the worst. He's somewhere in between, somewhere between mediocre and above average. That's all he really is. That's it. His ceiling is above average. That's a pretty low ceiling. He's 30 years old. He just turned 30 last week. Happy birthday, Jimmy. 
he's 30 years of age. You don't just all of a sudden get better from 30 to the rest of your career. He's already hit his head on his ceiling and he did that two years ago. So why we keep trotting this guy out here and what becomes ever so increasingly a lost season, I don't understand it. I don't get why he's even on the field. What are you getting out of all this? The defense for Jimmy has always been, well, whenever Jimmy plays, we win. He's lost four of his last five starts. That's a myth that's being debunked every time he steps on the field. He does not, we do not win every time he plays. Four out of the last five starts, he's lost. This game was a pure example of everything I've been saying about Garoppolo for the past two years. If you don't have an elite defense and a powerful, strong, forceful running game, He's not going to win football games. The only time he won football games at a consistent rate was 2019 when he had a powerful running game and a strong defense. If you don't have either one of those, he's inconsequential. He's just a guy out there. So he did okay. He completed passes. The offense offense moved the ball down the field. It wasn't like they were going three and out in consecutive drives. They were able to move the football. Two costly turnovers by Kittle and Ayuk derailed all the momentum and effectively ended the football game in the first half. But when I hear people say Jimmy Garoppolo played well, no. You can't say a quarterback played well. He's down 31-7 in the middle of the third quarter and loses 31-17 at home going against the other team's backup quarterback. If he had played well, the Niners would have scored more than 17 points. There were other drives after the first half, after Kittle and Ayuk's fumbles. There were other drives he could have scored points on. They didn't. How did he play well? What are you talking about? But Jimmy's not even the biggest problem on the team. The biggest problem on the team is the guy standing on the sideline with a red trucker hat on. Kyle Shanahan is the biggest problem on this team. Kyle Shanahan, after last Sunday's loss, is now 32-40 and 40 as the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers. I repeat, Kyle Shanahan as a head coach in the National Football League for the San Francisco 49ers is 32 32- in 40, eight games under 500, career winning percentage of 44%, the same career winning percentage of Chip Kelly. Kyle Shanahan is Chip Kelly. The numbers say that. Chip Kelly had a winning percentage of 44%. Kyle Shanahan has a winning percentage of 44% as a head coach in the NFL. Garbage. The team came out unfocused, undisciplined, ill-prepared, turnovers, penalties, Josh Norman getting into a shouting match with Cliff Kingsbury, the coach of the Cardinals, during the game that drew a penalty. That type of shit is indicative of bad coaching. How does your team come out ill-prepared and not ready to play a football game when they're 3-4 and four coming into the game, going up against a team playing as backup quarterback and minus their best receiver and best overall player? How are you not prepared for this game? You're 3-4. and four. You need all the wins you can get. You keep telling everyone about we're trying to make a push for the playoffs and Jimmy gives us the best chance to win and we're playing. Everything is all about this season. We're all in for this year. That's why Trey and none of the rookies can play other than Elijah Mitchell and Talanoa Hafunga. And Hafunga is only out there because of injury to, to Jaquaski Tart and Jimmy Ward. That's the only reason Hafunga is out there. Elijah Mitchell, same thing. He's only out there because of injury to Raheem Mostert. If Raheem Mostert and Jaquaski Tart were healthy, none of our rookies would be playing football right now. The entire 2021 NFL draft class for the 49ers, this will be a redshirt season for all of them. But all I've heard all season long is we, we got to stick with the, the veterans. We got to play Jimmy. We got to play Drake Kirkpatrick. We got to play Josh fucking Norman. 
because these veterans give us the best chance to win. That is also on Kyle Shanahan. Player personnel decisions, who starts, who sits, everything. The entire football team. The fact that the 49ers are a complete and unmitigated disaster lies at the feet of Kyle Shanahan. This is his mess that he created. Him and John Lynch both. It lies at both their feet. They are responsible. They are culpable for what is going on with the 49ers this season in the past five years. They put this shit together. And with the uninspired effort that the team gave last Sunday, that's directly on Kyle Shanahan. You coached this team, dude. I hear people blaming D'Amico Ryans for the defense being shitty. Who chose him? Who hired D'Amico Ryans? And really, D'Amico Ryans is a first-year defensive coordinator, and honestly, the fact that the 49ers were even winning games to begin with was because of D'Amico Ryans. I feel like he's taking a lot of unfair criticism coming out of last Sunday's game. The defense was terrible. Yes, I'll admit that. I'll say that. The defense was absolutely pathetic. But have we already forgotten the Philadelphia game? Have we already forgotten the first Arizona game where D'Amico Ryans' defense kept us in that game, held them to 17 points. That was with Colin Murray and DeAndre Hopkins on the field. That was in Arizona. The defense kept us in that game. So D'Amico Ryans is taking a lot of shit right now because the defense has been flat the last two games. Justin Fields looked like Lamar Jackson two weeks ago against us, and Justin Fields is playing better football, which is a direct example, a clear example of what I've been saying all along that Trey Lance needs to be on the field because good things happen when you actually play football. You get better. You develop. You progress. Justin Fields' first start, horrible. He got sacked nine times. He had one net yard of passing. But look where he's at now. A month later, he's had back-to-back good games against us and a good game last night on Monday night versus Pittsburgh. He's taking steps forward. He's trending in the right direction. If you put your rookie quarterback on the field, you can say, well, he's inexperienced. He isn't ready yet. Put him on the field and get him ready. You get better by actually playing football. Jordan Love is an example of what Jordan Love debunks the whole notion that a quarterback has to sit for a while in order to get better. He sat for about a year and a half now behind Aaron Rodgers. He didn't look too good on Sunday versus Kansas City versus one of the worst defenses in the NFL. He missed a lot of easy passes. So people say, well, Trey has to sit. There's no exact science to it. In my opinion, Trey needs to play football. All of that comes back to Kyle Shanahan. Good players, good young rookie players not even getting an opportunity to play and develop. That's on Kyle Shanahan. Too many penalties, costly turnovers, ball security being an issue, as it's been the entire duration of Kyle Shanahan's tenure with the 49ers. Ball security has been a problem. These are all his problems. These are all his issues. Everything wrong with the team goes back to the head coach. When you're in a leadership position, the success or failures of your subordinates eventually comes back to you. I spent four years in the Navy. I say that almost every podcast. I was in a leadership position. I was a plane captain. I was a work center supervisor, all the above. If one of my trainees went out to the flight deck and almost fucking killed somebody, they're not going to get yelled at for it. You know who gets yelled at for it? Me, the guy that was standing behind him. The plane captain, the guy who's training this other guy to eventually become a plane captain one day and take my job. If one of my trainees goes out there and fucks something up, someone who outranks me is going to come yell at me because it's my fault. That guy is my responsibility. I'm training that guy. And whatever he does, right or wrong, reflects back on me. And that's just what it is. Everything that happened in the four quarters of this game last Sunday between Arizona and San Francisco is Kyle Shanahan's fault. I don't want to hear about... The plays worked. 
but they just need to be executed better. Guys were open. I'm tired of hearing this same old song and dance. Did you win the football game or not? You lost. And there are certain guys on the field who have no business being on the field. Tom Compton comes into the game from Mike McGlinchey after McGlinchey gets hurt. It's now been revealed that McGlinchey has a torn quad. You know, I talk a lot of shit about McGlinchey, but I don't wish injury on anyone. That's unfortunate for him. Get well soon, Mike. But he's out of the game. Tom Compton inexplicably comes into the game and takes his place at right tackle. Where the fuck is Jalen Moore? Where the fuck is your fifth-round draft pick who played admirably two weeks ago in the rain versus the Indianapolis Colts when Trent Williams was out and Jalen Moore played left tackle and did a hell of a job? So two weeks later, on a clear, sunny-ass day in Santa Clara, Mike McGlinchey gets hurt and Jalen Moore's nowhere to be found. Just like Aaron Banks is nowhere to be found. You put Tom Compton in the fucking game? What? Poor K? Tom Compton's one of those guys, just like Drake Patrick and Travis Benjamin and Josh Norman. He's one of those guys, he wouldn't even be in the NFL right now if it wasn't for Kyle Shanahan. They couldn't make anyone else's roster. Those guys could not play on anyone else's team. The only reason they're in the NFL right now is because Kyle Shanahan is an idiot and relies on over-the-hill veteran players instead of young, capable rookies. And that's just what it is. You got a bunch of old-ass guys on the wrong side of 30 out there committing stupid-ass penalties or getting ran the fuck over. Drake Kirkpatrick got destroyed by Eno Coleman, who I never even heard of until last Sunday. I guess he's like the third string running back for the Cardinals because they lost Chase Edmonds, their first uh, string running back early in the game. He went out with a high ankle sprain. And then James Conner took over, and James Conner was 1994. Barry Sanders out there against the 49er defense. He kicked our ass all four quarters. Screen passes, handoffs, doesn't matter. As long as James Conner had the ball in his hands, he played the game of his life. He was on a different planet. He was in 2008 Adrian Peterson last Sunday. He destroyed the 49ers. And so did Eno Coleman, who absolutely crushed the buildings on Drake Kirkpatrick on a touchdown run. He got ran the fuck over. You know what Drake Kirkpatrick should have done immediately after that play? He should have walked off the field, walked back into the locker room, and faxed his retirement papers to the NFL League headquarters in New York City. He should have retired right then and there. That should have been his last play in the NFL. Drake Kirkpatrick, whatever pride and dignity and integrity he might have had was taken away from him on that touchdown run by Eno Coleman. That shit was embarrassing, man. That shit was sad, man. I'm looking at this, and I'm like, come on, man. That's somebody's mama's son out there, Eno Coleman. You ain't got to embarrass somebody like that, man. That dude plays for my favorite football team. I assume Drake Kirkpatrick as a family. Like I said, that's somebody's mama's son out there. And a quick correction, it's not Eno Coleman, it's Eno Benjamin. My apologies to Eno Benjamin and his family if they're listening, if they already have good taste, obviously. Eno Benjamin treated Drake Kirkpatrick like a goddamn speed bump. Last Sunday at Levi Stadium. That was a crime that was committed. That was black-on-black crime, man. We're supposed to be better than that. Black lives matter. But all of this speaks to another issue, one of the main issues the 49ers had last Sunday, which was tackling. The tackling was atrocious last Sunday. No one can make a tackle at all. Even shorthanded, good, proven tacklers like Fred Warner could not make tackles on Sunday. James Conner, Eno Benjamin, they all just ran through over and around, over the middle and through the woods on the 49er defense. Conner finished up with 96 yards on 21 carries, while his backup, Eno Benjamin, had 39 and a touchdown on nine attempts. Conner also had five receptions for 77 yards. He had a screen pass 
they had caught early in the third quarter, which was the final nail in the coffin. He took about 55 yards, ran through the 49er defense on his way to the end zone, almost untouched pretty much. 55 yards, no one even laid a finger on him. No one even breathed on him. Just embarrassing. Aziz Al-Shahir came up empty on a 3-18 play on which Connor turned a short pass into a 21-yard gain. I don't know what else to say. If you can't tackle, if you commit dumbass penalties like that Josh Norman penalty on what would have been a 4th and 18 at about the 37 or 38-yard line, which would have forced a much more difficult 57 or 56-yard kick, but Norman gets flagged for going at it with uh, Cardinals coach Cliff Kingsbury. Just idiotic shit like that. When you make dumb penalties and you can't tackle and you can't hold on to the football, you're going to lose a football game. And it was just remarkably sad. The vibe, you know, the biggest thing that stuck out to me during the game, because like I said, I'm sitting up in the 300 section, I'm watching the entire field, and I'm looking at two things stuck out to me. First thing was I'm looking at the 49ers sideline. As they're in the midst of getting their asses kicked and their soul sent to another galaxy, while they're on the field having their soul lifted to the heavens, I'm looking at the 49ers sideline. I'm like, who's going to be on the sideline that give the team a spark? Who's going to be that guy on the sideline and get up in people's faces and start cussing motherfuckers out and hold people accountable? Who's that guy? We don't have that guy anymore. Those guys are gone. One of the main guys who would have fit that profile, he's in Tampa right now. I don't know what he's doing down there. Richard Sherman, he's in Tampa being a quasi-coach or sometimes defensive back whenever he's healthy. Another guy that could fit a leadership role is on NBC Sports California Bay Area, the postgame show, Joe Staley. He retired two years ago. Where is the leadership on this team? Who's going to hold people accountable when you're in a situation like that where you're getting your asses kicked in front of your home fans? Home fans, you have not won a football game in front of since the NFC Championship game two years ago in 2019. The last time the Niners won a home game, October 18th of last season, that was in an empty stadium. Nobody was at that game. They have not won a football game in front of their own home fans since the 2019 NFC Championship game. It's been two years. But you haven't won a home game, period, since last October. What is going on? And like I said, I'm looking at the sideline. I'm like, where's the spark? Where's the energy? No one seems to be that upset about all this. I guess that's what happens when you get a bunch of guys playing on one-year contracts. They don't give a fuck. And once you get in the midseason and you're three and five and playoffs don't look very likely, guys start checking out. Guys start making business decisions and doing what's best for them. Guys will either opt out of a game or opt out of making a big play or a tackle because I don't want to get hurt. I'm trying to protect myself. I'm only on a, I'm only on a one-year deal. I'm not going to be here next year, and this team isn't going anywhere this season. So I'll just put some good things on tape here and there and just try to stay healthy and just try to get to the end of the season and make some plans for Cancun once, this, once the regular season's over with. That appears to be the mentality, and that's the danger in playing on these washed-up-ass veterans who have nothing really to play for anymore. There were guys, Josh Norman was on the street two months ago. Nobody claimed him. He wasn't on, he wasn't on anyone's roster. Same thing with Kirkpatrick. No, like I said earlier, no one else wants these guys. So naturally, they play for the 49ers. They get a lot of playing time. For what? What do they contribute? Josh Norman, the occasional peanut punch and forcing the fumble. Other than that, he's getting smoked in coverage or getting a defensive pass interference called on him. Edgar Patrick's out there getting run over or getting mossed for a football like he did uh, against Michael Pittman and the Colts two weeks ago in the rain. 
What does either one of these old-ass guys contribute? The second thing I noticed, being at the stadium and watching the game unfold in real time, like I said, I'm looking at the Niners' sideline. I don't see any spark, no fire, no energy, no passion, no intensity. And I look around the stadium, and I see the same thing. Like, everyone just seemed, like, apathetic about the situation. Or they just, yeah, that's the best word, apathetic. Like, no one even really cares. Like, it's okay, it's whatever. I didn't hear no booing. I didn't hear no one around me, like, cussing and getting mad. Everyone's kind of just quiet about it, shaking their heads a little bit. They're showing a little bit of displeasure. But I didn't, you know, it wasn't like, it's not aggressive enough for me. I'm from the East Coast, man. I want things to be turned up and aggressive. Like, get mad. I started a fire Kyle chant as I'm leaving the stadium. A few people joined there, and I was happy about that. But not enough. And the overall vibe in the stadium was like, eh, well, at least we had a good time. At least, you know, we don't want to boo the team. We got to stay faithful. Keep your head up. We're only one game out of the last playoff spot because the NFL threw in a seventh playoff spot the past two seasons, which to me is a token charity playoff spot. Doesn't mean a whole lot. You can make the playoffs as a seventh seed and get clobbered in the wild card round. All you did was play an extra week of football. It doesn't mean shit to me. That's what the Bears did last year. And the seventh seed in the, in the AFC last year was the Colts. They lost in the first round. It's meaningless. Who cares? The Niners can make the playoffs this year and do what? And go where? Who are they going to beat? They're not going to make the playoffs this year. But hypothetically speaking, if they did, where are they going? What threat do they really pose? Let's be honest about the situation. Let's be realistic about this shit. But getting back to, the, like I said, the overall vibe in the stadium, I'm like, we're not hostile enough. The fan base isn't hostile enough. Put pressure on this organization to change and make things better. I'm sorry I even went to the game. I'm embarrassed for myself I even paid money to go purchase a ticket and go to this game. I only paid about 97 bucks for my ticket. I didn't want to spend a whole lot of money because I didn't want to give this team that much money. This organization doesn't deserve people giving them their hard-earned money the way they do. Go to a home game at Levi's Stadium for what? To watch the other team win? Like I said, the Niners haven't won a home game in over a year. People are paying their hard-earned money in the most expensive part of the country to live in to go watch this absolutely decrepit football team step on the field and shit the bed for four quarters in the game they're supposed to win, in a game they should have won, in a game they were picked to win. They had no reason to lose this game last Sunday, no reason whatsoever. You have to be embarrassed. People ask the question, is this the most embarrassing loss of the Kyle Shanahan era? I don't know. There's a lot of them. There's plenty of embarrassing losses to consider. The Miami game last season, the Indianapolis game two weeks ago, in the rain, game should have won. But this one might be number one, and this, this one might be at the top of the leaderboard for embarrassing Kyle Shanahan losses. This was a game you were supposed to win, and you were never in this football game. It's 14-0 at the end of the first quarter, 17-7 at halftime, 31-7 midway to the third. You were never in this game. And all the boneheaded decisions, all the turnovers, all the penalties, all the poor tackling, the failure to make adjustments, Arizona was kicking our asses with screens and misdirections and trick plays. Cole McCoy couldn't be stopped. Cole McCoy was 22 out of 26 in this game. Your defense allowed Cole McCoy to only have four incomplete passes in this game. Your offense couldn't hold on to the football. You couldn't establish a running game against a team with a weak run defense. The formula for success with the running game last week was pretty simple. Run to the left. 
behind Trent Williams and Lincoln Tomlinson. But apparently, in true Shanahan fashion, if it makes sense, we're not going to do it. Because that's what they're thinking we're going to do. So we're going to outsmart them and ourselves and do the exact opposite. We're going to make adjustments when they don't need to be made. But when adjustments need to be made, we're not going to make them. If it makes sense, we're not going to do it. That's the Kyle Shanahan way. And that way has led to being eight games under 500 in the same career winning percentage as Chip Kelly. Next week, the opponent or the L.A. Rams who just got murdered by the Tennessee Titans on Sunday Night Football. And they themselves suffered an embarrassing loss at home in front of their fans. But that was on national TV. That was on NBC Sunday Night Football. So what that means is everybody's talking about it this week. Everyone's talking about how poor Matt Stafford played, those two hideous interceptions that he threw, the way they got manhandled up front, in particular right up the middle through the A-gap. They got destroyed all game long. Jeffrey Simmons, a defensive end from Tennessee, had a coming out party on national TV. He played an outstanding game. That dude's a fucking monster. That was really my first time getting an opportunity to watch him play. That dude's incredible. So the Rams got humiliated, which is bad news for the 49ers. You got the Rams coming off a fresh, clean ass whooping on Sunday night. They've lost four games in a row against the 49ers. And you better believe they're aware of that. You better believe they know all too well about the fact they've lost four games in a row to the 49ers. So they're coming in, pissed off, angry, focused. And this will probably be the debut of Vaughn Miller, who will more than likely be on the right side going up against a turnstile known as Tom Compton and Daniel Brunskill. This is all a recipe for disaster. Frankly, I'm here for it. And I hope it is a disaster. It needs to be a disaster. The Niners need to get their asses kicked on Monday night while the whole country is watching. Because here's the thing. The Niners got embarrassed last Sunday in a game that most people weren't even watching. Niners and Cardinals does not show up on most people's radar. That game kind of gets buried beneath the surface. Coming out of last Sunday, you look at all the national TV football shows, ESPN, NFL Network in particular, they're talking about how Dallas got destroyed by Denver. They're talking about the Kansas City Green Bay game and Jordan Love's debut. They're talking about the Sunday night debacle in, in Los Angeles. They're talking about the way the Browns bounced back and beat the Bengals coming off the controversy with Odell Beckham and the way he was released and everything. They're talking about other teams. Other teams garner more spotlight than a 3-4, and four, now 3-5 and five San Francisco 49er team playing against the Cardinals. And let's, let's call it what it is. The Cardinals will always be one of the more under-radar, under-the-radar, overlooked, underrated football teams in the NFL. They're never a glamour franchise. Nobody really pays that much attention to the Arizona Cardinals. You either have to be a Cardinal fan from Arizona or a fan of a team in the NFC West that pays attention to all the teams in the NFC West like I do. I'm a Niner fan, so that means I pay attention to the Cardinals, Seahawks, and the Rams very closely. They're our division rivals, and they're all better than we are. But my point is, not a whole lot of people saw or cared about that game last Sunday unless you're a Niner or a Cardinals fan. Most of the country is not even talking about that. They're also talking about uh, what happened in, in Jacksonville with the Buffalo Bills losing in surprising fashion to the Jacksonville Jaguars 9-6. Other teams are more high profile and getting more talked about than the 49ers. Even out here in the Bay Area, you had other distractions going on out here. You had Buster Posey, the longtime legendary catcher of the San Francisco Giants, who called it quits who retired last week. That got a lot of headlines, a lot of press. And deservedly so. Buster Posey, in my opinion, is a future Hall of Famer. Maybe not first ballot, but at some point in his life he will, and deservedly so, should go into Cooperstown in the MLB Hall of Fame. 
Uh, so you had that going on. You also had the Golden State Warriors, 7-1 and one out here. Steph Curry putting up numbers at 50 points last night, 50 points and 10 assists. Everyone's talking about that. Everyone's excited about the Warriors. The Niners are 3-4, and four, coming off a win versus Chicago last week. They had goodwill. No one's really paying that much attention to them coming into this game, but now you're fucking around and lose. Now the local media is paying attention to you, but next week is on Monday night. The whole country's going to be watching again. You're the only game in town, only game being played at that point in time, Monday Night Football on ESPN. If you go out there and you lose on prime time on Monday night and lose badly, that's going to intensify the amount of scrutiny and pressure on Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. And as someone who passionately and adamantly wants both of these guys to no longer be affiliated with the San Francisco 49ers, it needs to happen. Maybe that's what needs to go down. Maybe the Rams need to come out here next week and just annihilate the 49ers 51 7, 47-5, 38-3, 31-0. Some embarrassing, emasculating, deflating score like that. Molly whopped the 49ers in front of the whole country. And who knows? Maybe Kyle will get fired next week. I doubt it. But it could add to the it could add fuel to the fire. If you go out there and you shit the bed and get cleaned up on national TV in front of the entire country. With everybody watching, that means all the shows and the fallout and the days after the game, they're going to be talking about you. There's already some whispers, some talk nationally on a national level about whether or not Kyle Shanahan should continue being the coach of the 49ers going forward. There's already some talk, pro football talk, and Mike Florio had a conversation about that. Pat McAfee on this podcast had a conversation about that. So there's some small conversation here and there, but it needs to intensify. There needs to be more pressure put on Jed York and the organization to make some drastic moves and decisions to get somebody to fuck out of here. Because I'm telling you, and this might come across as being overly pessimistic, I don't care. Because one thing I learned from being in the game last Sunday, I tried to be positive the whole day. I really did. I'm amongst my people. I'm in the trenches. I'm, in, I'm tailgating with other 49 fans live in the flesh. And we're coming off a win. I'm trying to have good vibes and be optimistic and positive. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. I don't want to be my usual, realistic, straight to the point, unfiltered, no bullshit having self. I decided to take a day off from that and just enjoy being at the game. And I did. I had a nice, fun time hanging out with some cool people, getting fucked up, getting drunk. The game sucked, but that's out of my control. I, I have nothing to do with that. That's, that's Kyle Shanahan's control. But I'm trying really hard to be positive. I remember telling a guy standing next to me, one of the guys in our group, I said, you know what, it's 14 nothing. It's only the first quarter. It's three more quarters to go. Stay positive, man. It can come back and win this thing. I'm saying that. I'm thinking to myself, you don't, even, you don't even believe what you're saying right now. You don't even talk like that. I knew internally the game was over, but I tried to be positive. Fuck that. Bad things happen in life when you try to be positive. Be realistic, man. Just call what you see. If shit is fucked up, then say it's fucked up. The Niners are fucked up. And maybe, perhaps the best thing that could possibly happen to them is for them to get eviscerated next Monday night by their division rival, the L.A. Rams. It's for the greater good. It's for the overall greater good of the franchise, of the 49er nation. I know members of the faithful don't want to hear me talk like this. I don't fucking care. Something drastic needs to happen. This is not going to get any better. Overnight, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are not, gonna, not just going to figure it out and get better. You look at the slew of horrible player personnel decisions. What good free agents have been brought in? Who's the best free agent that's been brought in during the Lynch-Shanahan era? 
Was Richard Sherman a free agent? Kyle Juszczyk, Jason Verrett. I mean, what are you getting? Five years, not to mention all the terrible draft picks. What else do you What more evidence does Jed York need to see that this isn't working? It's time for someone to go. Maybe it's time for two people to go, but it's not working. This is not a real football team right now. They have problems on both sides of the ball in all three phases of the game. They're not ready to play football on a weekly basis. Who's, whose fault is that? The coach. Everything is Kyle Shanahan's fault. I don't care what anyone says. Ball security, that's Kyle Shanahan's fault. Good football teams don't turn the ball over that much. You don't see, I don't know, Baltimore doing that. New England, you don't see them turn the ball over that much. Tennessee, Arizona, like good quality football teams play complimentary football. Defense takes the ball away. Offense doesn't give the ball away. You play complimentary football. That's how you win in the NFL. And the 49ers don't play complimentary football. They don't generate takeaways like they were doing two years ago in 2019, but they're giving the ball away. Jimmy Garoppolo is very philanthropic with the football. And the overall team is the same way. It's fumbles. It's dumbass picks. It's poor coaching. Everything. It's a dumpster fire. It's a complete dumpster fire of a football team right now. And maybe, just maybe, what the Niners organization needs for the greater good to facilitate change is for the 49ers and for Kyle Shanahan to get embarrassed, to get Ahmed Johnson and Pearl River plunged through a table by the L.A. Rams on Monday night with the whole country watching. It might sound weird to hear a Niners fan request that his team gets his ass whipped, but once again, it's for the greater good. It needs to happen. A public humiliation a nationwide embarrassment needs to go down this Monday for the overall greater good of the 49ers to get someone in here who's going to actually play the rookies and develop them. Wouldn't it be nice to have an actual head coach as opposed to a glorified offensive coordinator? That's what Kyle Shanahan is, a glorified offensive coordinator. He's really good at designing plays. The overall architecture of the offense is very nice. He's not good at anything else. He's not a good leader. He doesn't galvanize the troops. He's not a good planner. He doesn't pay attention to detail. He doesn't work on the small things. He's not a good strategist. He's not good at clock management. He's not good at player personnel decisions. What is he good at? Name five things Kyle Shanahan is good at as a head coach. Name five. I already said one. Like I said, play design. That's it. Name four other things Kyle Shanahan does well as the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers. Name five overall things he does well. Can't. You'd be up all night. You would scratch the scalp and dandruff off your fucking head trying to figure out five things that Kyle Shanahan does well as a head coach. It's worthless. He's a direct beneficiary of nepotism and white privilege. I'll just go ahead and say that for the record. Kyle Shanahan is a direct beneficiary of nepotism and white privilege. If he was a brother named Kyle Jackson, he would have been fired already. No question about that. The only reason he survives as a head coach of the San Francisco 49ers is his skin color and his last name being Shanahan. If he was a black dude named Leroy Jenkins, his black ass would have been fired already. Call it what it is, man. And that's all I got to say about that. So what have we learned? We've learned you should not drink five Modellos and three shots of tequila in less than one hour. It's not a good idea. I wouldn't recommend that. I would say that we've learned that Kyle Shanahan is utterly abysmal as the head coach in the 49ers. But then again, I already knew that. Everyone should have already known that. If you don't know that, you're not paying enough attention.
this team needs to improve in the interim, in the short term. I'm not going to any more games this season. These assholes are not getting any more of my money. Fuck that. Even though I only paid 97 bucks for this ticket, that was 97 bucks too much. I don't give a fuck. We're only 15 minutes away from where I live at. I'm not going to any more games this season. I'm not supporting this goddamn fiasco anymore until some changes are made. Fuck this. I watch these motherfuckers play on TV. I ain't going to the stadium for the rest of the season. I for real paid 97 bucks to watch Colt McCoy beat Earth, Wind, Fire, and Ice out the 49ers. Colt fucking McCoy kicked the 49ers' ass last Sunday. Are you fucking kidding me right now? Save your money, 49ers fans. Stop going to the games. Don't buy any more merchandise. Don't do shit. Do not give Jed York any more of your hard-earned money. 97 bucks just to watch the Arizona Cardinals with a backup quarterback pull up to Santa Clara and smoke that 49er pack, put that Santa Clara cush all in the air last Sunday. That's depressing. That really was. I remember leaving the stadium. Me and, me and uh, the group that I was with, we all left after Garoppolo threw that pick in the fourth quarter to Buda Baker. We took off immediately afterwards. That was it. The game, the game was over. The game had already been over for about three quarters now. It was effectively over with that last pick. We walked out the stadium just purely dejected. Like I hung my head in shame. Because like I said, I was embarrassed I was even there. I paid money to come support this fucking debacle. This goddamn catastrophe. This I'm not for the rest of the season, unless they turn it around dramatically, unless Trey Lance is on the field playing quarterback for the 49ers, I'll go watch Trey Lance play. I'm not watching Jimmy Garoppolo play anymore. There's no point. It's useless. If Trey Lance is on the field, I'll think about going to another game. Other than that, you ain't going to see my black ass at Levi Stadium for the rest of the season. They can go to hell. Win some fucking football games. Win a goddamn home game. Try that. Absolutely embarrassing. Well, that about concludes this episode of the Deion Gordon Podcast. I would try to end it on a high note. I guess I could say, well, Kittle had a nice game coming back. He did have a fumble, but he also caught a touchdown pass. Um, who else did anything positive during the game? Brandon Ayuk had a nice game. Caught a lot of passes. He also had a fumble, but at the same time, he, at least he was targeted. At least he was on the field and getting passes thrown in his direction. He had a nice game overall. Um, man, that, that might be it. Just those two guys had nice games. Everyone else was just either there or sticking up the joint. So there really is nothing positive to end this whole thing on. It was an absolutely depressing performance last Sunday. And where, where else do you go from, from here but up? But at the same time, I really believe they're not going to go up unless they change the direction of the franchise. And that means getting rid of John Lynch and getting rid of Kyle Shanahan. It has to happen. <sighs> well, that about concludes this episode of the Deion Gordon Podcast. Once again, eternally grateful, always humble, and very much appreciative. Thank you so much for listening. Fire Kyle Shanahan. Picture me rolling. I'm out.